Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to dive right in this morning. Luke chapter 15. And we're in the series called Home. Somebody say home. No place like home. Amen. And we do pray that if you are maybe a first-time guest here today or you're, you've been coming here new, that you feel at home here and you feel like family. Can you say family with me? Family. We are family here. We're all from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, but we are one in Jesus. Amen? And I love it. He's the, one, the only one who can bring people together. So we're, we're, we're really talking this whole thing about home, this series that we're looking at, literally our final series of the year. We're, we're kind of, di- we're not kind of, we are dissecting the story, the very famous um, parable of the prodigal son. And we're looking at it from four different perspectives, perspectives, four different angles. We looked last week, the younger son, I'll do a quick recap in a moment on that. The older son today, next week, the really the true older brother, Jesus, and then we'll end it on the father. This, in this whole series, if I was to sum it up, we're talking about and bragging on, come on, we're bragging on the Father's love. Amen? We're bragging on the Father's love for you and I. And we're just, we're just going to really dive into that each and every week through this uh, pretty popular parable. And here's, here's the whole thing. And I said this last week, but again, quick recap. It's not about what you and I know because knowledge will only take you so far. I want to say that again. It's not about, you know, it's the, the thing we learned if you grew up in church. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me. That's important to have the head knowledge that Jesus loves us. That's so important. But knowledge is just the beginning. Our God wants us to personally know him, relationally know him, intimately know him, and experience his love daily. Amen? So it goes from knowledge, yes, but honestly, God wants us to dive much deeper and go into a personal, intimate relationship with him and experience his love daily. So this is what we got to understand, this whole thing about perspective. Right here on the screen, how we see and relate to our heavenly father shapes everything about us. I could stop right there, but there's more to the sentence. How we see, somebody say see, and relate. There's that see, is that perspective. How you and I see and relate to our Heavenly Father shapes everything about us. It shapes everything about me. And it will ultimately affect the trajectory of our lives. That's so important that we understand it's all about perspective. Jimmy Evans says this, we can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. I'll say that again. We can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. Perspective. Will you say it with me? Perspective. Perspective is everything. So let me ask you a question as we're still getting to know each other here at Victory Hamilton Mill. I'm wondering how many people in the room, when you look back at your childhood, how many childhood troublemakers did I have in the room? You were just a little bit of a troublemaker. That's me for sure. I could put both hands up. And the worst thing I ever wanted to hear from my mother was these words, wait until your father gets home. Anybody with me? Anybody ever had that told you before? And uh, I grew up in the day that 
literally, uh, the parents, I, I'll just say it like this. I needed a good butt whooping. Thank you. Thank you for giving me permission. Uh, I needed a serious butt whipping from my parents. I was a troublemaker, the oldest of four. And if I wasn't getting in trouble personally, I was getting my brothers in trouble all the time. And they were always mad at me because I was getting them in trouble. So there was a lot of trouble in the Frith family growing up. And it was usually my fault. Uh, you know, I think about it like this way. Uh, I, my, my mom would, when I got older... Uh, my mom would say, I need you to go outside. I was in trouble. I got caught. She said, I need you to go outside. And I need you to pick a switch. <laughs> oh, you guys are with me this morning. Come on, 9 a.m. I was like, I told Lisa last night, I'm going to say this. And they're going to be like, what? A switch? And I, and I would say to her, what do you mean? I remember when she first told me this, um, you know, because uh, she, she's like, I need you to go outside. I'm like, okay. I'm, uh, you know, I thought I was in trouble. I love going outside. I'll go outside. Oh, you're not going out to have fun. I need you to go to those bushes over there and give me a switch. And I'd be like, for what? Oh, you'll know when you come back in. Just go get me the switch right now. Tear off the leaves and everything else, or just bring it to me. Just bring it to me quickly. I saw like she was She-Hulk, you know. Uh, and, um, and so anyway, you know, and I, and I got my switch in, and I thought everything was done. And then she would leave my bedroom, and then she would say, and wait until your father gets home. You think you're in trouble now. Wait till your father gets home. I'm like, what in the world? And then, of course, uh, I don't need to go into any further of you can just put, put it together in your mind when my father got home. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me the way we look at our father when we get in trouble. Do we have a biblical perspective when you and I sin, when we get in trouble, or do we have what I'll call a religious perspective? They're almost like I got these glasses up here uh, to help me see the fine print of my notes. And, you know, it's, it's two glasses. One's what I would call the gospel glasses, and one would be the religious glasses. Let me show you the example right here on the screen. Uh, one, this is what the religion perspective says. I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. But I love the gospel perspective, the biblical perspective, the relational perspective. I messed up. I need to call my dad. Do you see the difference? Please leave it up there just for a moment. The religion uh, perspective, the religious glasses say, I've messed up. My dad's going to kill me. I got to get as far away from my dad as possible. But the gospel perspective, the biblical perspective, the relational perspective is I've messed up. I need to talk to my dad. I need to run to my dad. I need to, I need to sit with my dad. I need to hang with my dad. I need to tell him myself. I need to confess what's going on in my heart to my dad. And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to be able to run to him, come on, when things are good and when things are bad. When, thing, when we're on the mountaintop, come on, when you and I are on the mountaintop, it's easy like, oh, God is good. God is good. All the time, God is good. Well, can I tell you what? When you're in the valley, God is still good. When you're going through difficult times, God is still good. There is none good but our God. So we've got to understand that perspective, somebody say perspective. Perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. The glasses that you and I wear in life, metaphorically speaking, are so important. My wife just had to go back to the eye doctor and she got some new contacts and she was like, whoa. 
She needed a greater uh, perspective on things. She needed some clear. Some of us, listen to me, church. I love you when I say this, but some of us need to clean our spiritual glasses because they've gotten blurry. They've gotten blurry. I forgot my Alabama Crimson Tide hanky. I could clean my glasses right here in this moment. I just, I don't know where it's at. Where, where is that uh, hanky? Roll Tide, Roll Tide. Somebody's like, I'm not going to listen to the rest of your message, Pastor, because of that. That's why I debated on saying anything. But I love y'all. So the title of my message this morning, part two, is A Lost Brother. If you're taking notes, A Lost Brother. Let me pray real quick. Holy Spirit, as we dive a little deeper today in this story that many of us have heard since childhood, would you bring it and make it new and fresh? And Lord, I know I have some points that you've given me, but I believe that you can speak to every one of us and give us some greater points right in our seats. So give us revelation today and help us, Father, have your perspective on everything. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen. Quick recap before we continue to read in Luke 15. Lost people are coming from everywhere. They're coming out of the woods to hear this Jesus of Nazareth. Notorious sinners, the scripture said. Cheaters, tax collectors, adulterers, the wicked people, the lost, they're all coming to hear Jesus. And you would think, as I said last week, the religious crowd would be just right there with Jesus, just, just raising the roof like, come on, yes. But no, they were angry because they were jealous. And they were mocking Jesus and making fun of him, calling him all kinds of names and even saying he even eats with these people. And so Jesus takes advantage of the opportunity as he's hearing these remarks made at him. And he tells three stories, three very short parables about finding lost things, the lost coin, the beginning of Luke 15, the middle, the or excuse me, the lost sheep at the beginning of Luke 15, then the lost coin in the middle of Luke 15, and then the story we're dissecting over these four weeks before Christmas Eve, the lost son, or famously called the prodigal son. And this story talks about this younger son, two brothers, but this younger son that comes to his father, even, even though he should be waiting for his father to pass one day, today he comes to his father and said, I want my money now, which was a huge insult, slap in the face, very disrespectful, gut punch to the father, because he's basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead, hurts his father's heart as it would hurt any daddy in the room, but the deeply wounded father gives, not even reluctantly, divides up his estate and gives the money to his younger son. The younger son takes the money a few days later, runs off to a faraway land and spends all of his inheritance, didn't save a penny, spent all of his inheritance, the Bible says, on wild living. Comes to the point, because he spent it all, that he's broke, a famine hits the land, he's starving, he works uh, as a, with a pig farmer feeding pigs one day, we don't know how long this went. It's a story, of course, but let's, let's literally look at it as reality. One day, 
He literally, as he's sitting in the mud, looking at the pig food, starving to death, about to eat the pig food, he awakes out of this rebellious, comatose state that he's been in. He's at the lowest point of his life, and the Bible says he comes to his senses and he remembers his father. But he knows he's done so, he's caused so much pain in what he's done and so much misery that he devises up a plan that he's going to pay his father back literally by working for him as a hired man. So he makes the long trek home and what he doesn't know that his father every day is waiting and watching to see if his son comes home. What a beautiful picture of what our father does for us. He's waiting, he's watching, is this the day? Is this the day that my son is gonna come home? And one day it was that he saw, the Bible says, his son from a faraway distance and fathers didn't do this, especially rich patriarchs, but he lifted up his robe and showed those white legs of his or whatever color his skin was and ran, ran, ran to his son. That did not happen. But he did it because he loved his son more than dignity, more than what people thought. He fully embraced his dirty, filthy son, kissed him all over, clothed him with a brand, the finest robe, his own, put a ring on his finger representing royalty and new shoes on his feet. Had to be Nike Airs, Jordan Airs there a little bit. And he's standing there like, can you imagine if it was me and you, we'd be like, what is happening? I had this plan. The father interrupts the plan, loves on his son, and then throws a huge party, a huge celebration, killing the fattened calf that they had been saving for something else. But he gives it all for his son. And that brings us right here. Look at this scripture, Luke 15, 23. Skip down at 23. And he says this, we must celebrate. The father says this, we must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. Somebody say life. If you're new here, sometimes I'll have you talk back to me. He was lost, but now he's found. Somebody say found. And I love this. So the party began. And you would think, and I know the hearers of the story at this time, they had to think, what a beautiful ending. Oh, my God. It's like the, the, most movies we watch, it's just got this, be- the music builds and, and the symphony builds, and you just hear the music, and the, you know, the, there's a reuniting, there's a beautiful reunion, and the story's over. But it's not. This is not the end of the story, and this is actually not the main point of the story. Let's pick it up together at verse 25. Are you there? It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. Now remember, they're partying it up at the house. Celebration. The house is filled. The estate grounds are filled with people. They're all celebrating the return of the younger son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Verse 27, it says, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. That tells me that it was a long trek. It was a long journey, and they probably thought he was dead. The older brother, verse Verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. Wouldn't go in where? He wouldn't go into the house. They're partying it up. They're celebrating. 
Everybody is just having a, an incredible time rejoicing in the long lost son who has returned. So the brother is so angry that he will not come in. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Would not go in. His father came out and begged him. Begged him, but he replied. Now look at this. This, this gives us a little inside of the son's heart here, the older brother. All these years, come on, say it with me, I've slaved for you. All these years, I can hear him just, his voice is raised, he's so angry. He thought his brother was dead and maybe even wished he was dead. He was still angry with him for doing what he did. All these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. He was a rule keeper. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And now it gets even worse, friends. Look what I hear, verse 30. Yet when this son of yours, boy, if somebody said, if someone said that to me, if one of my boys said that to me, I'd be like, oh, no, you did not just say that. This son of mine is your brother. That's what I said. Then I said, go give me a switch, you know. <laughs> but he says, when this son of yours, insulting as that was, comes back after squandering your money, look, what he, look at the language here. Are you with me? Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, I wonder how that, I wonder how, I thought about this this morning. How did he know that? You know what I think? I think, this is just me, so don't hold me in concrete here, but reading into the text here, I thought like, you know what? He's probably thinking, because that's what I'd have done. A lot of us are so self-righteous, rule-keeping, but if we would, if we could, and no one knew, we might do the very thing that the younger brother was doing. But I'm a rule-keeper. And so we don't know how he knew. I don't, I don't think the younger brother came home and told everybody what he was doing. He was just glad to be alive and so thankful to be treated as a son, though culturally he should not have been treated as a son. And so this older brother is being so disrespectful. This son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Now, Victor, let me just tell you, if this story was told today, and it happened today, I thought about this. The older son is out on the construction site, and he starts receiving tons of notifications on his phone. He looks and sees these reels and instant stories of all these people in his house with his brother, who he thought was dead, hoped to be dead. And they're all got these pictures and they're all taking pictures and his phone is just being blasted because he's being tagged in it. You ever been tagged in something? You're like, please don't tag me in that. <laughs> I did that this morning. I had a tag from someone far away. We have a lot of missionary friends, but I was just like, oh no. And I just deleted like, Father, I hope he doesn't, you know, but I just deleted. I don't want that. Don't need it. And I, you know, all these notif notifications are going off. All these friends from the community are, the, bro the young brother's in the picture and they're all hanging out. He's sick of it. He can't believe it. And he sees all these people posting, posting with this hashtag, YBIB. Your boy is back. 
He's like, oh, no, no, no. Probably thinking of his money. What do they do? And the older brother hears the noise of music and dancing and asks one of his servants, what in the world's going on? Only to find out that the whole community is in his backyard and in his house. And not only that, the long lost brother is there and they're eating and enjoying a delicious filet mignon. And he is ticked. And I asked the question, as we dove in it this week, Pastor Darius and Pastor Mo, who are speaking at their campuses, we talked about this. Why was he so stinking angry? There was, there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot there that we don't even have time to go into. But what's really going on here? First off, and I just want to just help us understand this, because you don't see this in the text, but culturally speaking, the older brother refusing to go in is another insult to his father. The whole community's there. Everybody is rejoicing. It's a big deal. Father's well-known. He's a rich patriarch. He's a loving man. He's a generous man. We can see that very clearly from this story. I've known, and I know you can agree with this too, some of the most kindest and generous people are probably some of the most well-known people. You just know of them. They're just a kind, generous, loving people. Those are some of the most well-known people because of how they are, how they treat people. And so this father's well-known, but this son refuses to go in. And you know it had to be a scene. If you're a parent, you got teenagers or college students, those scenes sometimes in the car, in the front yard, or when you're going, it's like, oh God, just please, just get in the car so we can go. The scenes that sometimes that I made with my parents when I think about what I put them through. I used to argue all Sunday morning, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be at church. I don't like our church. And my dad said, you go into church. You can go the easy way or you can go the hard way, but you go in the church. And I did it all, guys. I saw things on the movies where they put the little, what was it, the little thermometer on the light bulb? Pretend I had a fever, you know, remember that? I mean, I did everything to get out of, but I'm telling you, like, I made scene after scene privately and publicly so disrespectful to my parents, specifically my father. And this is what this older brother is doing. But the father, as insulted and as embarrassed as he is, he's begging his son to come into the room. This blows me away. He could have said, just go back in the field. But he's begging his son to come back in the house. And can I tell you, you the, the older son, the older brother, he knows this is a special day. This is probably the most special day in the father's life because his son has come home. I know my mom and dad tell me that when I came home, when I came back to the Lord, that was their biggest day. When I came back to God at 19, and by the grace of God, I've never looked back. That was one of their most defining days when I made that phone call and said, basically, I said, I'm coming home. Dad, tell me what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. My dad spoke to the calling inside of me and said, son, you got to get about the father's business. You've been about your business long enough. Because a lot of us, like myself, it's all about me. That's what the older brother, what, almost like, what have you done for me lately? Janet said so 
well. What have you done for me lately? I mean, literally, it was, this is what this son was thinking, that the entitlement, the self-righteousness that was coming out of him, the pride, the arrogance, the way he's talking to his dad. Are you with me, 9 a.m.? The father comes out to his sulking son and literally begs him to come inside the house and join the celebration. But again, I got to highlight this because stay with me. The older son's next words, I got to just read this again because we got to get this. It's so important that we understand this. The, father, the, the son's next words is this. He said, all these years I've been slaving for you and never once refused to do a single thing. I've been slaving. I've been working my tail off. I've been, I've been killing myself for you. I've never disobeyed you. I've always kept the rules. You never even gave me a goat. And then he's comparing, and you never gave me anything like this. What's going on here? I've been here the whole time. This, my, this son of yours, he's been doing all these things. He left us. He, he was dead. But I've been here. The older brother, listen to me, church, the older brother is speaking like a slave instead of a son. He's speaking slave language, speaking entitlement. I've been working for you, slaving for you, following the rules that you didn't give me. And you, or, excuse me, and you did not give me this. Put to you like this, if you're, right, if you're taking notes, this is one of the truths that I'm gonna bring out of this. The older brother wasn't working out of love for the father, he was working to get something from the father. The older brother wasn't working out of love for the father, he was working to get something from the father. One is out of love, based from love, comes from love, I'm just doing this for my dad because I love him. The other one is, I'm doing this because I want something. Give me something. And let me put it to you like this, as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me all week about this, he thought this was how it worked. I do the right things, I keep all the rules, I try to live a good life, and you, Father, should reward me and celebrate me. Church, that's called entitlement. And let me just pose this as a question to us this morning. Do we really know that we can keep all the rules and be good, but still be lost. You and I can keep all the rules and quote unquote be good, but still be lost. There are many people who call themselves Christians who walk around with an older brother type of heart. People call it the older brother syndrome. I'll throw out a few things as we just drill down on this real quick. I try hard to be good. I, I'm kind. I, I go to church. I pray. I, I even tithe. I serve as a volunteer greeter. I, I, I do all these things. And somehow we think in the recesses of our mind, we think that we are earning something. We do. I'm going to be good. I'm, I'm going to do good. I'm going to be kind. Those people are mean, but I'm going to be kind. 
They're wicked. I, I am righteous. Those people deserve what's happened to them. I deserve good things because I do good things. Are you with me? And, th- and what we do is somehow subconsciously, the more and more we think that way and it becomes a truth in our heart, even though it's a lie, the more and more we think God owes us something. You, that you, you, you answer my prayers and God, you give me a, a good life because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm gonna just be real simple. I'm a good boy. Remember the whole thing, Christmas is, is, is all about Jesus, but you know, you'll hear about old St. Nick here and there. And I remember as a kid, until my parents told me, hopefully there's no little kids in the room, uh, you know, that, you know, this, this is not real. Because I remember them saying, if you'll be good, hello, what, what's, what's the old thing? Better watch out. Better not cry. I'm having a brain freeze for a moment. Better not pout. Lisa, you just need a microphone right now for a second. Because <laughs> I'm telling you why. Because if you're good and you're not pouting and you're a good kid, you're going to get presents. But if you're bad, you're going to get coals. So I need to be good. And a lot of times, church, listen to me. I know we don't like this. My flesh did not like this this week as I kept praying into it as Pastor Darius and I Mo kept just diving into this word that we treat God like Santa Claus. I'm going to be good. I am a good boy. I do good things. I go to church, check. I even tithe, check. I'm going to give to the Christmas miracle offering, check. But we do not know the Lord. And I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm talking about know him intimately. And you owe me. And I know we would never say that with our mouths, but there's a mentality that that if I'm doing good and I'm doing all these things that we think are good or we classify as good, then good things should happen to me. Church, that is not biblical. It rains on the just and the unjust on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said, Jesus said that we would go through very difficult times. Becoming a Christian is not this pie in the sky. It always rains down lucky charms and and Skittles and everything is great. I'm a lucky charms guy. If I'm gonna go a little sweetness, I'm gonna have a little lucky charms. Can't do it like I used to, but I'll do it once in a while to reward me. (laughs) Even though I have to sneak it. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? That we got to understand and recognize this. I mean, let's think about who Jesus, before we get ready to go into communion, stay with me for a few extra minutes. Uh, Jesus, think about who he's talking to. He's talking to the religious crowd. He's talking to the church. He's talking to you and I today. Because here's the thing. I said this last week. I was the younger brother, but I have found in my life many times I've been the older brother. We can be both sometimes in seasons of our life. We got to remember this because these religious people, they, they were in church every week. They were quoting scripture. And listen, they obeyed the rules down to the letter of the law. 
but they didn't even recognize Yeshua who was sitting right in front of them telling the story. Jesus, their creator, their, their long-awaited Messiah, they didn't even recognize him because they did not know him personally, intimately. We equate being good. Listen to me, church. We drill down a little bit. We equate being good with being saved. If I'm gonna be good, I'm gonna be saved and I'm gonna go to heaven. That's not biblical. It's not biblical. The gospel, right here on the screen, the gospel is not be good and you will be saved. It's actually be saved and you will do good. The gospel changes your life. Jesus changes your life and where we were full of self and we were full of pride, and we were full of everything of wickedness. As I said it earlier during worship, we were enemies because of our sin. The blood of Jesus, and we accept him as Lord of our life, everything changes. We're now sons and daughters of the king. We're friends with the Lord, and we are good because of the goodness of Jesus Christ in our life, not because of anything I've done. So the gospel is actually be saved and you will do good. Or as I said last week, works does not lead to relationship. Relationship with Christ leads to good works. Say that again for those who weren't here or for those in the back. Works does not lead to relationship. Relationship with Christ leads to good works. I only say that uh, because I can't see you because of lights but I know you're there with me, those in the back. Pastor Darius said something this week in our time of prayer and talking about the message. I wrote it down as fast as I could. And I guess maybe this would all pretty much sum up the message the more I started praying into it over the weekend. He said this right here on the screen, God doesn't want your hands unless he can have your heart. Our hands, we equate hands with good works. You know, works, works, works. You got to work with your hands. Work with your hands. Uh, my father, my grandfather, they had, uh, had a lot of calluses on their hands. They were hardworking men. So we equate our hands, men or women, with work. You're typing, you're doing whatever. Your hands work. But God doesn't want your hands, doesn't want my hands, unless he can have my heart. My hands need to follow my heart, not vice versa. The older brother is so blind because of his self-righteousness and pride that he won't even recognize his brother as his brother. He says, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering all the money on prostitutes, you, Father, you celebrate. You know what it tells me is that the older brother doesn't care about his younger brother and he doesn't even care about his dad. And here's the deal. The younger brother, listen to me, church. If you don't hear anything, hear this today as we prepare our hearts. The younger brother was lost far away, and where he was far away, he remembered his father, and he came home. The older brother was with his father every day, and he was still lost. The older brother was in the house with his father, in the fields, with his father, every single day, and he was still lost. Both of them were lost, but the younger brother comes back, and he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. 
and the older brother who was with his daddy every day in the house, working outside, is truly lost. What does that tell me? Proximity does not equate intimacy. Proximity does not equate intimacy. Last two verses. His father said to him, look, dear son. The son was yelling at him. Father speaks gentle and kind. Look, dear son. I underline these words here. You have always stayed by me. And every, look look at the language. Oh my goodness. Everything I have. Come on, say it with me. Everything I have is We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead. Look what he's saying. Your brother. He's lovingly corrected him. Just in case you forgot, that's this son of yours you're talking to me. He's your brother. You've forgotten. You're you're so focused on you. You're, You're missing your brother came back from the dead. Your brother has come back to life. He was lost. But now he's found. And I'll just say this. What good is proximity if we're not having daily communion with the Father? What what good is proximity if we're not having communion? What does communion mean? We're actually about to take communion. That is holy communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. It represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. But Really what it's talking about for all of us is that intimacy. What good is proximity if we're not intimate with the Father? That's why a husband and wife can be under one roof. They can eat together. They can sleep together and still have no relationship. Proximity does not equal intimacy. We've got to understand like this this whole moral, I'm going to do good, be good. I'll just throw this on the screen real quick. You can be 100% moral and religious and still completely miss God. I know our flesh does not like this, but I'm telling you, this is the truth. You and I can be completely 100% moral. Leave it up there if you wouldn't mind. What does that mean? You can follow all the rules and do all the churchy things and still not know God. Because you're doing it out of a works to earn something. And God is saying, I just want to know you. But here's the deal. When you truly, when you and I truly come to know the Lord and embrace his love for us. And how do you, by the way, how do you, some people like, for me, I'm a simple guy. I need people to drill it down. How do I know the Lord? Well, I would just say, how did you get to know your best friend? How did you get to know that your spouse? You spent time with them. You you talked to them. You listened to them. A lot of us, you know, the whole story, Lisa was reminding me last night as I was sharing this with her, the Mary Martha thing. Remember that? And Martha, her big sister, rebukes Mary because she's not working. And Jesus said, hey, hey, Martha, time out, time out. Mary is focused on the one thing. He was basically saying, me. You're so consumed with all these things, you're you're missing me. The older brother was with the father every day, but he didn't see him. He didn't know him intimately. 
He just wanted his stuff. But when you know the Lord and you embrace his love, it's a game changer, church. When you know the Lord and you embrace his love for your life, it's a game changer. We said it earlier, it was a confirmation. Jeremy didn't know what I was preaching on this morning as he knew the message, but he didn't know my notes. Literally, no more works mentality, no more striving, no more proving. Why? Because everything the Father has is mine. Everything my God has is mine. I don't have to, right here on the screen, I don't have to strive for what's already mine. Oh my goodness, the truth of that statement. I don't have to strive for, what, for what's already mine. Why? Because we're sons and daughters of the king. We're not slaves. We're not workers, worker bees, hired men. No, we are sons and daughters of the most high God, amen? And we can rest, somebody say rest. We can rest in that truth. It's not about knowledge. It's about intimately knowing him. One of the scariest verses for me many years, it's not scary anymore, it's still a wake-up call to me, but it was a scary verse for a long time because I was the worker bee for God. I was do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it all for God, do it, do it, not hit home runs for God, do it all, do it for God, do it for God. And in my early 30s, I had a wake-up call. All the things were good, and we actually even saw success through the years, but I didn't know him as I should. God says this to us from Matthew 7. Actually, Jesus said it. Some people call it the scary verses. But it's the truth about knowing the Lord. It says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. What is the will of the Father? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That sums it all up, by the way. Now look at this. On Judgment Day, many, many, we were praying about this as a staff on Thursday. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But Jesus says, I will reply, I never knew you. I never knew you intimately. You and I, I don't know you. You did all these things in my name, but we did not know each other. And then he says, get away from me, you lawbreakers. So what does that tell us this morning as we conclude? In the end, in the very end, listen to me, church, in the very end, when we all stand before the Lord, it doesn't matter what you and I did. It doesn't matter what you and I did. What matters is who you know. Who do you know? And so my question to us today is do you know him? Do you know the Lord? He knows you, but he wants to be known by you. He knows everything about me, every fiber about me. But he wants me, he wants me to know him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence in this place. 
as we prepare our hearts, God, for communion. We want to thank you for the blood of Jesus and the body, your body, God, that you took a beating for us. But before we take communion, God, as the word tells us to examine ourselves before we take of holy communion. And so from the front to the back, all around this room, if you're here today and you are away from Jesus, you're running from him, you know your life is not where it needs to be, maybe you've been even coming to church for a long time, but you're like, you know what, I've wandered away. I, I've been doing things, but I, my heart has grown cold. I, I wanna love him, I wanna know him, but I'm, I'm just not there. Can I tell you, you're in a safe place. You're among the family of God. I'm not here to embarrass you or point you out. Your head is bowed simply because you wanna focus on your own heart before God. No one looking around this moment, but if that's you today, and you wanna say, I need to come back to Jesus today. Today, I wanna surrender my heart to God, and I wanna start a journey of knowing the Lord. If that's you, can I ask you to simply raise your hand and then put it back down and say, that's me, Pastor, pray for me. All across this room, you're raising your hand, but you're acknowledging a heart to your Father. Yeah, God sees your heart. Brothers, sisters, God sees your heart. People are saying, I'm not where I need to be. I'm not talking about beating yourself up. None of us are where we wanna be, but I'm talking about you know that you are not running after God. You've gotten caught up in things, whatever it is, whether it's sin or even good works, but you hadn't got caught up in Jesus. Anybody else in this place? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm gonna pray us together. Father, we thank you for this time. We, we come to you. Just agree with me if you lift your hands and everybody in the room because all of us wanna know God more, amen? All of us wanna go deeper with God. So Father, we come to you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus dying on the cross for us. And we repent, God, of getting caught up in doing all the good things. Caught up in our own stuff. Caught up in ourselves, God. Lord Jesus, we repent of these things, God. We call them what is sin. Lord, forgive us. And we thank you, God, that you love us when we run away and you love us when we run too. You, you always love us. You'll never stop loving us, God. So we come back to you today in Jesus' name. And we surrender our hearts to you. And today, somebody say today. Today is a fresh and a new. We make a decision, God, with your strength and the help of the Holy Spirit to pursue you with all our heart, to love you, to know you relationally, intimately. Jesus, we thank you. And you made it all available. And you reconciled us, God, to your Father because of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen.